Well, today uh, I'm bringing to a close the uh, brief series of messages that Ben and I have preached over the last month uh, entitled Desperate Households. We've looked at the, the busy, hurried schedule that so many of us are dealing with and the fact that, that Christ invites us to embrace his easy yoke uh, and take on at that exchanged our, exchange our busyness for his, his uh, peace and rest. We looked at the challenge of parenting and what it means uh, to be a godly parent in today's contemporary society. We looked at the issue of marriage and how to uh, put uh, protections uh, and build walls of hedges and boundaries in your marriages to protect yourself from infidelity and unfaithfulness. And now today, as we conclude this series, we're looking at the issue of prodigals, um, prodigals in our lives, waiting for our prodigals to come home. A few moments ago, Ben read our text from Luke chapter 15, uh, which are a part of a set of parables uh, of Jesus. And this well-known parable of Jesus begins, a man had two sons, and the younger son came to the father and said, Father, give me my share of your estate. So his father agreed to divide his wealth among his two sons. And the younger son left and wasted his life in riotous living. And so begins Jesus' powerful parable that is known probably to most of us in this room today. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, you remember that it focuses on a rebellious son who rejected his father's upbringing and brought shame to his good name. He was prideful, he was arrogant, he was strong. He heads off to a far distant country and wastes his life in a wild life of adventure and squanders everything, everything of value. And it was not until he was confronted by his own failure and despair and depravity, that he came to his senses, the scripture says. He came to the end of himself, came to his senses, and thought to himself, back in my father's household, there are servants who live better than I'm living, so I'm going to go back, not as a son, but I'll go back and, and I'll make a deal with my dad and serve him as one of his servants. He was willing to do anything to get back into his father's favor and good graces. But to his surprise upon returning home, and not only to his surprise, but to the surprise of many others, he's welcomed back home without question, without lectures. He's welcomed into his father's loving and forgiving arms. And no amount of time, no amount of money, and no amount of rebellion get in the way of the Father's unconditional love for the Son. And of course, we know that the point that Jesus is making in this parable is, is that God is patient and gracious with the sinner, with all of His children. He's willing, if we would come to our senses and repent, He's willing to welcome each of us into His loving and forgiving arms. Now, I want to say to you today that it's not my aim to preach an expository message on this great parable. I will be doing that in July. Pastor Ben and I have slated a series of messages this summer that we've called Summer Stories. 
and we're taking ten of the great parables of Jesus, and we're going to unpack the spiritual truth in those parables and apply them to our lives today. So, in early July, I'll preach that message on this wonderful parable of Jesus and look at the grace and unconditional love of the Father and look at the kind of the legalistic attitude of the elder brother, if you know the parable. We'll look at it uh, with uh, twisting the diamond in many facets. But instead, my purpose this morning in bringing this parable forward is to help us to, to deal and address uh, the issue of those prodigals that we may have in our lives and especially address to those of us who are waiting for prodigals to come home. Now, I want you to understand that when I use the word prodigal, that I'm referring to anyone who has drifted away or who has run away or who has totally rejected their Christian heritage. I might be referring to a college student who, who simply stops going to church when they get off to the university campus or to a man who thinks that he doesn't need religion anymore, or to someone who, who walks away from their Christian heritage and, and becomes an avowed atheist. A prodigal is someone who, who gets so busy in their career and in the workplace that they don't have any time for God anymore, or so they think. A prodigal may be a pastor who, who gets involved with a woman in his church and, and now rejects his, his wife and family and his faith. A prodigal might refer to a brother who used to lead the men's ministry in a local church but now refuses to go to church at all. Or it could refer to a former best friend who now lives in an openly homosexual lifestyle. So this morning, I'm not just talking about the prodigal child that may be out there, but, but I want to, as best I can this morning, kind of in a fully orbed way, help us to understand that prodigals come in many shapes and form. Is there anything more difficult or anything more gut-wrenching than dealing with a prodigal in your life? A child who, after years of training, decides to turn their back on the instruction of their parents and turn their back even on the will of God. I'm sure that in this room this morning there are individuals who are and who have been praying for a prodigal in their life. Perhaps you're a parent who's praying for a prodigal son or daughter or you are a spouse praying for a straying husband or wife. And if you are, then you know the personal anguish that comes with watching someone that you love so deeply and care for and want God's best in their life and watch them step by step wander away from God's love. The first thing I want to say to you if you're in that situation this morning is that I want to encourage you to first of all, before you do anything else, to acknowledge the sense of loss and mourning and pain that comes with that whole thing of having a prodigal in your life. Let's stop pretending. Let's stop trying to put a good face on it. Let's come out of hiding and support one another. I think you would be surprised 
How many individuals within our larger church family are dealing with some kind of a situation in their life where they are waiting, like the father in Jesus' parable, where they are waiting for a prodigal to come home? You might feel all alone. You might feel ashamed because of the situation that you're dealing with. But what you what you've forgotten is that there may be many within this local body of believers that are going through that very upsetting circumstance even now. So I want to encourage you to come out of hiding. I want to encourage you to allow yourself to to grieve the sense of loss that you're experiencing in this. This is a major upset. Things are not turning out the way that you dreamed them to do. They're not, they're not working out the way you hoped they would. And it brings on a whole myriad of emotions of grief and guilt and you start blaming yourself and sometimes you get angry, angry at your prodigal. Sometimes you, you, you get to a place where you're blaming other people. You're blaming your spouse for a situation or whatever. And then there's even times when, when you're in the midst of this that you get confused and, and, and doubt begins to take over and your own faith may even flag a bit. I want to encourage you, if you're in this situation this morning and you have a prodigal in your life, to not give up, to not lose hope, but first of all, to to grieve the loss that you're experiencing. And I want you to hear me today that no matter how hopeless your situation might seem to your own finite uh, eyesight and understanding, that the good news is this, that God's love will never give up. He will never give up on that prodigal that's out there wasting their life in a far distant country. And God's Spirit is calling that individual, that prodigal, back home to Himself. Not only that, but God shares the heartache that you feel within. He bears that burden. He hears your prayer. And He offers to you His divine comfort and peace. Even as you stand at the end of the road waiting for your prodigal to come home, He bears that pain with you. But remember, remember, the problem is not forgiveness and acceptance of the Father. Because God is a Father to runaways. Judson Cornwall uh, gives a powerful reminder of that in God's role as our Heavenly Father. He says this, The prodigal found in Jesus' parable found mercy in the heart of the Father when he returned, and so has every other fugitive son of the Father. No returning runaway has ever been rejected, nor will he or she ever be. The problem is not the forgiveness and acceptance of the Father, because our God is a Father of runaways. And aren't you glad He is? Because one day, you and I were running away. I want you to understand that today, this message is not based in theory, but it's based in my own practical experience. Because there was a time in my own life and my own journey when I too was a prodigal. When I walked away from the things that uh, during my college, early college years, when I walked away from the things that, that I had been trained in a godly home by godly parents and grandparents, but I turned my back on that and, and I went out and I regret it now, but I went out and I experimented in things that, that I should not have done. So I understand the experience of the prodigal. But I want you to understand too that I also understand the parents' role as well. 
But what we must remember is that God, our Father, is a Father to run away. And when I was running away from God, He was chasing me by His Spirit. He would not let me go. He, as someone who said, the Spirit of God is the hound of heaven, He was hounding me with the offer of His grace and mercy. And thanks be to God, there came a day when my eyes, uh, which had been spiritually blinded, and, and the doubt and the lack of faith that was there were restored, and, and, and I came to my senses, even as the prodigal in Jesus' parable, when I came to my senses and came to the end of myself and surrendered my life to this father of runaways. And I gave myself in full surrender to him. And I praise God that he never gave up on me even once. And you probably know that too in your own life. And so what we must always keep in mind as we deal with these prodigals in our lives is that God is God is always a better parent than we are. He's a, he's a better spouse than we are. He's a better sibling. He's a, he's, a, he's a better child than we are. No matter how much we love our children or how much we love our spouse or how much we love our sibling, we have to recognize that God loves them even more than we do. No matter how much we want the best for our children or our spouse or our parents, He wants it even more than we do. And what's more, He knows what's needed. He can see from where they are to where He wants them to be. And not only can He see from the point of where they are out there in that far distant country and the point that He wants to bring them to according to His sovereign purpose, but He has the divine resources, praise be to His name, to bring them from point A to point B. And He does it infallibly. And He does it with an abundance of wisdom. And He does it with tender compassion. And He does it with a generous helping of mercy. And He wastes nothing along the path from their lostness to being found. So we can take comfort today as we think about the prodigals in our lives that are out there. We can take comfort in the fact that this father of runaways loves your prodigal more than you and he has a plan for that prodigal. And he has the resources to bring them along. But what do we do? What do we do while we're waiting for our runaway to come back home, to come to the end of themselves, to come to a place of repentance and brokenness and come back to the Father? Well, I think there are some answers in the parable of the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. And, and I want you to understand that I recognize that the Father in Jesus' parable is to be a picture of our Heavenly Father. That was the point of Jesus' parable, and we'll talk about that more in July, about His Father's heart. But I also recognize that in this parable, that God as our perfect Heavenly Father provides a template and a model for us fallible parents that we are. He provides a model for us that we ought to emulate. And so there are four attitudes that I think and actions that we ought to pay attention to in this particular parable. The first is this. You need to remember that your prodigal must make his or her own choices. In the case of prodigal children, we must remember that It is not our responsibility to make choices for our children. It is our responsibility to train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. 
In fact, one of under the new covenant of grace in Jesus Christ, one of the instructions that is given to parents by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training and in instruction of the Lord. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we talked about this several weeks ago in parenting, but I want to remind you again, mom and dad, that your primary responsibility as a parent is not to make sure that they have braces and get into an Ivy League school. Your primary responsibility is for their spiritual uh, training and upbringing. It's your responsibility. And as I said several weeks ago, it is not the primary responsibility of the church. It's not the primary responsibility of the school or the government or any other institution that Sovereign God has put in place. But instead, Sovereign God has laid it upon every parent the primary responsibility for their spiritual upbringing. And you need to understand that that training is not going to happen by osmosis just by bringing your kids to church or Sunday school or or youth group or Awana. You must be intentional. You must be focused. You must be praying. You must be asking other parents uh, when you come into uh, problems and issues because you are primarily responsible for the spiritual development of your children, and it requires your very best efforts. Now, understand, as I admitted several weeks ago, that we are because we are frail and fallible, we make mistakes. And as I said, I, I stand at the head of the line as a father who made plenty of mistakes. I wish that I had the opportunity to do some things over in this parenting task. I'm just trusting the grace and mercy of God to, to cover up for and compensate for the failures that I have made in the past and that it will not seriously wound or impact the, the lives of my three adult children. I want to say to you parents, you can be haphazard about a lot of things in life, but you must never be haphazard in your training of your children. You must take your children with ut- the training uh, of your children with utmost If I were to do it over again, I think what I would do is get um, either the shorter Westminster Catechism or Luther's Catechism for Children, and I would train my children in that kind of catechism. I know it seems like rote and all of that, but I think I would do it that way and teach them the fundamentals of the Christian faith so that they understand, not just by rote, but they understand the ins and outs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I wish I had done that. I might have the opportunity someday, if God grants me, to impact my grandchildren that way and thereby maybe compensate for my failure with my own children. Take this job seriously. Because you won't have them forever and you need to be making spiritual deposits in their lives in the 18, 20, 22 years that you have them. The goal of your parenting is that your home and your relationship with your children should make it easy for them to follow the ways of God. By your life, by your example, by your speech, I can't believe sometimes the way I hear parents speak to their children and speak in front of their children and the words that are used in the household, I wouldn't speak to my dog that way. 
Shame on some parent. But we must understand that our actions cannot save our children. As much as our training is important, our actions cannot save them. And we cannot make their choices for them. Now, in the story of the prodigal, we, we only see the son when he starts making his choices, when he goes to the father and asks for his share of, his, of the estate, and when he goes out and spends it in riotous living. We miss the years of training that the father had, put, uh, had uh, been through with his son. But no doubt, since the father represents God in Jesus' parable, it happened. Yet we understand that despite the training, this son stepped out and opposed his father's training and and instruction. And what a sad day it must have been for the father. Yet the father let the son make his own choice. Now please understand, this is not an exhortation to give children over to their own desires and their own choices. Rather, it is a statement of the way things are. Our, no matter what your best efforts, our children, our spouses, our siblings, our parents, depending on who your prodigal is, they have free will and they will make their own choices. And while they're in our homes, we have the right, if they're our children, we have the right as parents to govern their, govern their decisions. But eventually, in our homes and out of our homes, Children will choose from their, for themselves. And hopefully, we've done sufficient training that we've trained them up well to be able to think through things not only rationally, but with a, within a spiritual framework so that they, when confronted with important decisions that have huge consequences, that, that, that we would have them prepared for that moment of decision. The fact is, If the child's only basis for doing things is that's what mom and dad said I should do, they're walking on shaky ground anyway. They need to be able to think for themselves with a spiritual mindset. And as difficult and depressing a thought as it is, we must remember that our actions cannot save our children. The righteousness of a father or mother will not and cannot save a son or daughter. They themselves must submit their lives to God. Therefore, sometimes the best thing that you can do is to pray. To pray for your children or to pray for your prodigal. And to release them into God's hands. Now, that sounds like a simple matter, but if you've been in that place, then you'll know how very difficult it is to release your prodigal into God's hands. Whether the prodigal you're praying for is a child or a sibling or a parent or a spouse, whoever it might be, eventually you must put him or her back into the hands of God and trust God to do His work of grace in their lives. So at some point, you must relinquish your prodigal into the hands of God and say, Lord, they belong to you. They were yours before they were mine. They always have been yours and they always will be. They weren't ours to start out with, but Lord, I'm giving them over again to you. And I know how hard it is to yield that son or that daughter, that sibling over to God. But it is made easier when we remember that God's love never fails And God knows exactly what He's doing in their lives. 
So the first thing that I draw and extract from this parable is that we must remember that our prodigal must make their own choices, which leads me to the second very quickly. You must allow your prodigal to learn from their own mistakes. There is no doubt in my mind that the father in Jesus' parable loved his son. The prodigal's reception back home is proof enough for that. But what I want you to notice is what the father did while the son was making his bad choices. What did the father do? He stayed at home. The father stayed at home. He was waiting, Jesus says in the parable. But the father did not follow the child into the distant country to clean up the the messes the boy was making. The father allowed the son to experience the consequences of his own choices. And what I find time and again is that too many parents of prodigals think that they must demonstrate their love for their child by cleaning up after them all the time. I think this is a huge mistake. We as parents must let our children choose, we must let them fail, and we must let them learn some of the hard lessons that come from failure. That's the purpose of consequences. I think that's one of the things that's gone awry in our society today is that many people have lost the, the truth of the fact that every choice I make has a set of attending consequences. If I make this choice, this is going to happen. We've forgotten that. If I disobey my parent, I'm going to be punished. If I mouth off at the teacher, I see Lori Adela Medaglia shaking her head. She's a teacher. If I mouth off at the teacher, I'm going to have extra homework or sit in the quiet chair. I don't know what your form of... Uh, I remember what the form was when I was in elementary school. Mr. Dorman had a paddle that was 12 foot long with holes drilled in it so the air could go through smoothly. And Mr. Dorman applied it frequently to the seat of learning to some of the children, never me, some of the children (laughs) in my class. We need to allow our prodigals to, to not only make their own choices, but we need to let them learn from their mistakes. We as parents must let our children choose, learn, fail, and learn from their failure. Yet parents today rarely allow their children to learn from their mistakes. Instead, they're constantly going about guarding their children from the consequences of their choices, whether it's spiritual or emotional or financial or relational. Parents are always out there meddling and saying, well, let me fix this for you. Let me clean up this mess. Let me give you some money so you can make up for the the huge charges that you've made on your credit card bill. And do they ever learn from that? Absolutely not. They just know that when I get into a pinch, then I can run home to mom and dad. They never learn anything how to manage on on their own. And so if you have a prodigal, not only must you allow them to make their choices, but you must allow them to experience the pain that comes with the choices they make. Unless they experience that pain, they're never going to amend their ways. Because here's a basic maxim and rule. Unless the pain of your prodigal circumstances exceed the pain associated with making a change in their life, 
They're never going to make the change. Let me say that again because it's, I want to make sure you get this. this. If you get this, this is worth the whole day. The pain associated with staying in their circumstances must exceed the pain that's associated with making the behavioral change. And if you are constantly insulating your prodigal from the pain, they're never going to learn. They're not going to understand the painful consequences. For some, the painful consequences may be as extreme as seeing your daughter or your son go to prison or be convicted of a crime and have to go before the courts. For some, it, it, it might mean the, the loss of the custody of their children. I, and I know that the parent wants to, to always protect and always guard the child, but sometimes it's best for a parent to step away and not involve themselves and meddle in the situation because you are artificially, you are artificially preventing the pain from ha- happening. So if you really want your children to wise up, you want your prodigal to, to come back home, then while you are waiting, you must let them, as hard as it is, you must let them face the consequences of the decisions and choices that they're making. Thirdly, maintain your hope for your prodigal. Never give up hope. It's so easy to lose hope. Remember, this is not out of theory. This is out of personal experience. It is so easy to lose hope while you wait for your prodigal to come home. It is so easy to get caught up in that blame game and and feel guilty and shame and get isolated and all the rest. Sometimes parents look at their children, especially when they seem to be far off from the Lord, and you feel hopeless or you feel guilty or you feel angry or frustrated or maybe all of the above, and we wonder where God is in the midst of that pain. And there are many ways to answer that, but this much is certain, that God is not silent or absent or uncaring, nor is He stumped or surprised by young people who seem to have rejected everything that they've been taught and trained. Again, God is a better parent than we are. And that's really good news for some of us who've really blown it. But because God loves our children and our prodigal far more than we do, God will be leading them even when we don't know what to do. And even when we don't know that they're being led by God's Spirit. He can, by His grace, His irresistible grace, He can bring them back to Himself. And even though the road may be long and hard and frustrating and torturous to you while you're waiting for your prodigal to come home, though it may seem like your prodigal is going insane, circles, and even sometimes going backwards instead of moving forward in progression, I want to say to you, never give up hope. You can't compel your prodigal's obedience because you can't compel their hearts. But you can pray that the eyes of their hearts would be open. So the best thing that you should should be doing if you're waiting for your prodigal to, to come home is to be praying to the Lord that He would open the eyes of their hearts. If you have a prodigal daughter, pray like this. Lord, open her spiritual eyes, the eyes of her heart, so that she would see Jesus. 
and whatever you need to do, God, to convict her of her sin and make her hungry for the things of God, Lord, I give you permission to do that. Now, that's a simple yet profound prayer. But apart from God's grace, it's never going to happen unless God opens the heart of your son or your daughter or your prodigal spouse and on and on. So focus your prayers on God and His power to change your prodigal's heart. Ask God the Father to do only what He can do. And never, never, never give up hope. One of my favorite stories about the power of prayer to reclaim the life of a prodigal is over 1,600 years old. It begins with a woman named Monica. Monica was raised by Christian parents in North Africa. When she was old enough, because it was the custom of the day, Monica's parents arranged for her to marry a pagan man. Evidently, the marriage between Monica and her husband was very difficult because of their divided spiritual loyalties. Monica and her husband had three children, two of whom went on to to follow in the Christian faith, but one of their children, their one son, left the faith of his childhood. And by his own admission, Monica's son says that he chose the path of worldly pleasure. In fact, if you look at the life of Monica's son, you discover that for many years he lived with a mistress, and he became a part of a cult known as the Manichaeans. He and his mistress gave birth to a son that was born out of wedlock. Monica prayed for her son 17 years. Prayed that God would open the eyes of his heart and bring him back home to Christ and to the church. Looking back, her son said that my mother watered the earth with her tears for me, praying more for my spiritual welfare than most parents pray for their children's physical welfare. He said my mother fasted and prayed and asked God to give her back her son. Monica became near to the point of despair one day, and she went to see the, the uh, priest, the bishop in her area, And with tears, she asked why her son was still living in sin. The bishop's words have become famous across the century. This is what he said to Monica. It is not possible that the son of so many tears should perish. Your son will be saved. And he was right. It took several more years of fervent praying, but eventually Monica's son came back to Christ. His name was Augustine. You may know him as Saint Augustine. Augustine is universally regarded as one of the greatest thinkers in all of Christian history. Sixteen centuries later, his books and his writings are still in print In fact, his book of confessions is required reading for most seminary students. In his book, 
Augustine makes it clear that it was his mother's prayers that led him back to Jesus. And because she would not give up, that God eventually answered her prayers. So I say to you who are waiting at the end of the road, waiting for your prodigal to come home, never, never, never give up hope. Fourth and finally, when their eyes are opened and they repent and they decide to come home, then you be ready to rejoice and not judge. When children live as prodigals, when spouses turn their backs on all that they knew was true and live in riotous living, it would be oh so easy to turn the hand of rejection, to put them away, to to not receive them back. Sometimes, in a parent-child situation, I've seen situations where parents, even when the son or daughter is repentant and comes back home, the parent seems to have this desire to continue punishing the child. To what end? What does it accomplish? Does it make you feel better? It seems to me when you look at the parable of the prodigal, the prodigal's father didn't have any such problem with this. When his son returned, he accepted him with open arms. And he rejoiced at his arrival back home. He said, put the best robe on him. Kill the fatted calf. Put a ring on his finger, new shoes on his feet. He accepted the son back with rejoicing. And so should we do when our prodigals finally come home. Throw the lectures away. Just give them the unconditional love of God. I know that sometimes it feels like you have to make sure that they learn their lesson. Let God do the teaching in that situation. They need your acceptance, and what they really need is a sense of your unconditional love. After the first service today, Dan Quigley came to me and he said, Rick, this message really helped me today. Dan works at the City Mission and he works with people who are struggling with addictions, substance abuse, poverty, homelessness, those kinds of issues. And he said, so often we see men and women come into our program and they progress really well and they do really well and we rejoice. But he says, it's like there's times with some of them that they step in for a while and then all of a sudden, the, the power of it is so strong and they step back out. And, and he said, then they'll come back. And, and my problem is that I always look at them with some kind of cynicism and skepticism. And I don't want to do that. I want to be able to rejoice when they come back. And he said, I've seen some men who step into the program and who step out many times. But I want to be able to rejoice and offer the unconditional love of Christ every time they come back. And so it should be. Do you realize the debt that God has forgiven you and me? Then why can we not allow others forgiveness for their debts and their sins against us? Rejoice when they come back home. Be supportive. Give guidance and direction one asks for. Love them. Pray for them. Show them the love of Jesus. But rejoice at the return. 
the clock on the wall says that we're done. And so I want to say to you in conclusion today that dealing with prodigals is a very difficult situation. Again, this message is born out of experience. My prayer is that no one here ever has to deal with a prodigal. I wish that you could be spared from that. However, I know that some of you are going through these desperate circumstances even now, and this message today hits very close to where you live. Do you have a loved one who is far from the Lord? Does it today seem to you to be totally impossible that he or she will will ever change? Do you ever find yourself getting angry and frustrated with the choices, the foolish choices? Does it ever feel to you that your prayers for that prodigal seem to be useless and really are not bearing any fruit? I would say to you, pay no attention to your feelings. Because there's more going on in the heart of your loved one than you will ever know. So keep on believing. Keep on praying. Keep on surrendering them into the hands of the loving Heavenly Father. You never know what God will do. When you pray for a loved one who seems hardened against the things of the Lord, pray that the eyes of their heart might be opened so the light of God can come flooding in. And if that seems hopeless to you, at least it puts your hopeless one at God's doorstep, which is where it belongs. So never give up. Pray without ceasing. And entrust your loved one, your prodigal. And wait with eyes of faith for that prodigal to return. Would you stand together and let's pray this. I'd ask for a moment of privilege with you with eyes closed and heads bowed. I know that there are a number of people here in this room this morning that are standing at the end of the road waiting and praying for a prodigal to come home. You're praying for a son or a daughter or a spouse, a sibling, a loved one. Would you do me a favor so that I could just see who you are and pray for you? Would you just lift your hand in the air and hold it there till I see? Keep it up so I can just get a look on the room. There are a lot of hands up. You can put them down. Almighty God, Lord of mercy and grace, Heavenly Father, fountain of all goodness and love, we come to you today. We stand in the gap for our prodigal. Lord, only you know where those prodigals are today. Not just the physical place, but but Lord, you know where they are in their hearts, their minds, and their spirits. 
Your word reminds us that none of us can hide from you and that no one is lost that you cannot find. And so today, Lord, we we get our prodigal in our mind's eye. We see their face. We hear their voice. And we pray for them, Lord. And our prayer is that you would bring them home, not just to us, not even first to us, but that you would bring them home to you. God, we would also be honest enough to acknowledge the pain, the guilt, the blame, the shame, the frustration, the anger that we feel as parents or friends, spouses. Forgive us, Lord, if anything that we've done has made it easier for them to leave or or makes it harder for them to come back home. We pray that in your mercy you would forgive us. We pray today, Lord, that wherever our prodigals are and whatever they're doing, that you would touch their lives with your gracious spirit and that when they come home, broken and repentant, ready to be restored, I pray, Lord, when they come home, that you would give to us the spirit of the father and not of the elder brother. When they come home, Lord, For those that have gone far and those who have wandered near, remind us, Lord, of the powerful lesson that sometimes in your kingdom, it's not just another meeting that we need, but sometimes in your kingdom what we need is a celebration. So, Lord, we look forward to prodigals coming home. In the meantime, help us to be strong and trusting, surrendering, and faithful. And when the time comes that our faith and our hope will be rewarded. Now, Lord, dismiss us with your grace. On this weekend, when we acknowledge the sacrifice that many have made to secure our liberties and freedoms and to remember the ultimate sacrifice that many have made, we pray, Lord, that you would indeed make us grateful. Cause your peace and your grace to be in abundant supply as we move out into the mission field that surrounds us. And may the aroma of Christ be all about us. We pray this in the name of Jesus who lives with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forevermore. Go in peace.